Chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. It's been scientifically proven that cacao is an ancient food. It originates in South America, where it's been consumed as a fruit for millennia. Today's episode, as with all others, comes down to this large fruit and how we choose to consume it. Because even amongst a global crisis, we're not going to stop eating chocolate. And in the places where cacao is most ancient, it hasn't just stopped growing either. I'm Rosaura Laura. I am a daughter of Cacao Farmers, CEO of the Juan Laura de Chocolate Farmers. I am an agronomist and I specialize in cacao around Peru. For anybody who knows nothing about Peru, how would you introduce Peruvian cacao? Well, the cacao in Peru is more ancient than the other places, maybe. Here, the pre-Incas cultures used to collect the wild cacaos to make and use beverage and eat the fresh pots. It's for that reason that we here we have high diversity of cacao around our 13 regions where we cultivate cacao in Peru. So uh, the diversity also that we have, it's because we have different uh, cultures, small cultures, Aboriginal people. So they choose their cacaos to eat like a fresh pot, like a, like a fruit, according to their own custom. So for some places, for example, they love more sweet cacao pots, but in other places not. And uh, I think it's the reason why we have huge diversity of cacao. These days, Peru's cacao is mostly exported, and many producers are going above and beyond to make sure that they're offering very high-quality beans. For a higher price, of course. In fact, the year's main harvest has started across southern Peru over the last week or so. But with the whole world on lockdown as of today... Exporting cacao is not any government's priority. There haven't been that many cases in Peru, but it, the government's certainly taking it very seriously. So what are the restrictions? The people don't see the, the cacao like food. So many of the farmers have trouble because the army don't allow to pass to bring their production. I think this is the way. It's the misinterpretation of the decree. How are people being informed of the rules? Like, how do people know that they're not allowed just because when they try to go, the army stops them? Yeah. Some of them, and in other cases, they are afraid because the police bring to the prison. It's about education. We need to talk with our government, with the police makers, and also with the police and the army because they don't understand that. Even if you have some permission to work, some permission to go to the farm, uh, they don't understand. And most people, when you want to bring their harvest, they need to travel around one hour maybe, and they don't have a car because it's not allowed to use the car. Here in Kiyabamba, 
Many people are not making fermentation, for example, because they don't have the infrastructure because we used to collect fresh cacao beans to bring to the post-harvest, but we cannot now. Do the farmers in the area want their kids to become farmers as well? Or how do people perceive working in agriculture, especially with the pandemic happening right now? It's very interesting. Before the pandemic, the farmers didn't want their child become uh, farmers because in here we have a common phrase to say, you need to study. I don't want that you work like me, like a dunking. We was losing our connection from the farm. When I want to go back to my farm, for example, as a professional, many other colleagues said to me, why you are want to go back to your farm? I was starting my career teaching at the university, but I think the idea is go back and show that we learned at university. Many farmers with their sons and daughters, all of them go back to the farm. They said, we are more safe on the, our farm than any places. This is a phenomenon that currently we are living uh, around Peru and I think around the world, not just in cacao, but also I think in other crops. Do you think that this will have any kind of lasting impact upon people's choices over the next two years, next 10 years even? even once the pandemic is resolved? Yeah, we have uh, problems, troubles to bring the products to Lima, for example, to the port of, for export. We are not in trouble right now. Our cacao is not like other fruits, like for example, orange. Orange farmers, they are losing everything, but in cacao, not yet. But the prices get down right now. And uh, other farmers, our neighbors said, uh, that they are uncertain about the price and how can live in the future. You know? So they are starting planting other vegetables to eat. Yeah, we hope that all of this will be better in next months, but I don't think because our clients also said we are done selling. You think that your family farm will continue to harvest and everything but maybe some of your neighbors will harvest less this year. And then in August or September, when they want to sell the beans, there won't be as many buyers because there aren't as many chocolate makers buying. Is that what you're expecting? Uh, not because it's depending. Uh, they know until now that the prices will not be better than the last year, for example. But uh, I understand the farmer also. What we can do, <laughs> even if we need to sell at least price, is the, the way we have money for live. We are in surviving mode because, uh, yeah, if we can sell our cacaos, that's good. But we know that the prices will be not equal next year. And our neighbors and my family are uh, starting planting other crops like um, mandioca or papayas to, to eat because it's important to have secure for our alimentation. What are other common crops in the area? Is it only cacao in the area on the farm and around the farm or is it more diverse crops? It's another complex place. Pichari is a Apurima River Valley. 
um, well known by the coca plantation. We have rounded by many coca producers. In fact, my farm is one of the, maybe the, the only or that we have just cacao. And we promote uh, the agroecological cultivation. And so also the brine or pichari has a lot of native cacao, but we are losing this type of cacaos because the coca plantation and the drugs. If Peruvian farmers can't sell their cacao, this may play a role in bringing back the coca plant. Coca is an herb consumed often at high altitudes. It also happens to be the base material for cocaine. And even with an ongoing eradication program, it's still grown more abundantly in Peru than necessary for domestic consumption. An inability to see their cacao may push farmers towards growing more coca, not less. But right now, farmers are still hopeful that there will be a future for their cacao, if they can get it to a paying market. The logistic matters is the big problem during this pandemic, COVID. Because, as I said, the farmers are not alone. They are with their sons, with their children. They also have their own family. And with all the family can harvest, can manage the post-harvest, anything. But the big problem is how can we bring this production to the market? We are working on that right now, for example. Tomorrow we will have a meeting with a manager from the cooperative and also talk with the Ministry of Production how we can manage. As of last week, crude oil prices are at their lowest recorded price in history. Rigs can't slow production overnight, yet there's nowhere to store the excess in the meanwhile. Cacao is kind of like that, but on a slower timeline. Lockdowns around the world are preventing farmers from reaching their land. High-value crops like cacao are being left to rot in place. Some of my friends in India still can't get to their farms, because they can't even leave their homes, going on four weeks now. Friends in Malaysia can only reach farms if they can walk there. Some countries have less strict lockdowns, but it's scary to think of what could happen to cacao prices over the next two years if this steep drop in demand continues. As shown by the varying responses in each country, some cacao farmers are having an easier time than others. India's main harvest has just ended, while Peru's is just beginning. In Central America, Guatemala and Belize are right in the middle, and neither nation has escaped quarantine measures. To get a wider look at the cocoa supply chain, I spoke with someone further down the line than Rosaura. Hi, I'm Anjali, and I'm the sales director at Uncommon Cacao. Uncommon Cacao is a wholesale cocoa bean supplier. They work transparently with over a dozen origins from around the world. I spoke with Uncommon's co-founder, Emily Stone, in episode 7 of this show. Anjali has been with Uncommon since 2018, and she knows the company's first two origin projects particularly well. This is what's happening on the ground in Guatemala and Belize as of mid-April 2020. In Guatemala, we have five partners that are associations and two are private farms. So four are associations in their different regions and they're already pretty remote. And so they're in little villages and they are smallholder farmers. So they have their cacao and their land that they grow and tend to. And it takes about nine months for a flower to go to a pod. 
So it's a long time of like cultivating the trees and it's pretty hard work too, because you have to hand pick the cacao just at the right time and amass a certain volume for fermentation to really do an expert job at creating the flavor precursors that turn into really high quality chocolate. So the villages kind of shut down and weren't allowing external people into their villages as a way of being protective, you know, both for them and from the outside. But they were able to still harvest their cacao and process it if they had a fermentation center and a drying center within the in the community. So in Guatemala, the association partners we work with in San Juan Chivite and Lechua and Cajabon are all able to continue doing that and Polo Chic without any disruption. It's more getting the dried cacao from there in the village fermentaries to cacao verapaz in Coban for export. That's been the tricky part right now since there's a really strict curfew in Guatemala. And then Belize is a totally different situation. We don't have association partners doing the processing. We process centrally at Maya Mountain. And so we're sourcing from five villages around the southern region of uh, Toledo, Belize, right near Punta Gorda. And so that, mean, that means that our team at Maya Mountain goes out into the field buying, you know, especially right now, which is peak harvest, like almost every day, you know, definitely three times a week minimum. And they were just able to purchase so much cacao because it's a really huge harvest this year. And that got shut down at the village's request, actually. They didn't want anybody from the outside entering just to protect themselves. And so there was no way to really buy cacao in the last two weeks from our existing model. There is a request for us to be purchasing again. So this week, we've kind of been brainstorming how can we keep purchasing cacao during peak season right now, since it's a really critical time. And they've decided instead of sending our team into the field with the truck to pick it up, that we'll accept deliveries of cacao. Due to extraordinary circumstances, Uncommon has even had to take some measures into their own hands. Something that we're actually launching today is a GoFundMe to help collect funds for personal protective wear in Belize and Guatemala to get our teams masks and gloves and the protection that they need to continue doing their work safely. They've already had the ability to buy some masks. And based on that, people are starting to feel more comfortable continuing to work and interact, but still in very limited ways. Only if you're comfortable sharing this, but has Uncommon already seen a stop or a, a slowdown of orders from chocolate makers relative to like year over year growth last April, for example? Oh, definitely. So we were able to grow last year by, I would say like 20%. And that's pretty much in line with where the craft chocolate industry is. What I'm already looking at is a 60% drop in our sales. And that 60% is still, it's <laughs> hopeful in that I, I hope things will pick up and I didn't fully count on people going out of business entirely. As transparent as Uncommon is about what they pay farmers and their quality control measures, they're still a business. They have contracts with farmer partners and they're sticking to them. We are not trying to change our imports for this year based on what's going on with coronavirus. We expect that we won't be able to sell everything at the pace that we were expecting. But at the same time, we don't want to back out on the commitments we've made to our suppliers. So instead, we're giving them the option of if they would prefer for us to downgrade our contracts now and then 
buy more next year or keep the same volume in place this year and recognize that next year there could be a shrinkage in our total volumes that we need. I wrote my economics thesis on this idea that craft chocolate is a really specialty and niche market. And so that makes the goods from the craft chocolate industry unsubstitutable with the lower tier products. And so even if they're cheaper for a moment, there is a political activism or like voting with your dollars kind of feeling that consumers get when they're purchasing more from an ethical supply chain and consciously allocating their dollars towards something that they know is proving to make a bigger impact. And I think in the case of chocolate, you know, so much of the news and the story in the last like decade has just been about how horrific the status is for life as a cocoa farmer in West Africa. And so our supply chain really offers a glimpse into a reality that's engage with that. We work with our partners in Ghana, Bokva, but we're paying them more and we're trying to contextualize the prices that they make. And we started doing cost of production studies to get to the data underlying this industry that has been pretty shady in the past. While we're all hoping for the best in terms of the survival of the craft chocolate industry, it's hard to ignore the sharp turns the industry has had to take just in the last six weeks. Could you tell me about the craft chocolate experience at the beginning of March? Yeah, that was a really fun, fresh festival that we all got to get together for. And there were, I think, over 100 chocolate makers from all over the world who came to San Francisco for that. So it was two or three days of just awesome programming. Dandelion was super involved. They, they had like a cocoa bean pit for people to swim in if they wanted to do that. Or there were some amazing pairings going on between beer and cheese and chocolate. And um, I was really lucky to host a panel of chocolate makers talking about one of our cacao origins from Guatemala, Lechua beans. The in real life experience takes a lot more planning to bring together. But for the virtual chocolate festival, we we did a turnaround time, I think, of like two weeks. So the craft chocolate experience was March 7th and 8th. And then, yeah, two weeks later, we did the Stay Home with Chocolate Festival. And we basically planned that in like seven days. And the FCCI had sort of um, brainstormed how to kind of create a virtual festival. So they had some ideas and projects ready, but they hadn't executed it yet. So Carla from FCCI kind of brought Emily and I from Uncommon and Emily Mantooth from the Craft Chocolate Experience all together virtually with Jose from FCCI, of course. And she presented her idea to us about the virtual festival idea. And she had a, a plan for how to do the programming and really like put everybody on Instagram live to kind of bring that community feel together virtually. And I loved her creativity and ingenuity. I expect nothing less. And from there, I was just kind of like, yeah, I can take this idea and run with it. Let's do it. And what a difference two weeks can make. While festivals are now a familiar sight for many chocolate lovers, they might also make you cringe. That many people all packed in one room? So much for social distancing. But one chocolate maker who made it to both the physical and virtual festivals last month is Ben Rasmussen. My name is Ben Rasmussen. I'm the owner and founder of Potomac Chocolate uh, and its sole employee. 
I started this company actually with a friend of mine back in 2010. I was introduced to fine craft chocolate by my older brother around Christmas time of 2009 and started doing tastings for friends. At one of those tastings, one of my friends said, you know, we should try making this. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. But we did. And uh, here I am 10 years later, still making chocolate. Ben actually works with Uncommon Cacao for many of his cacao origins. So I can only store about a ton, maybe a ton and a half of cacao, but I don't typically have that much on hand. Um, I work with Uncommon Cacao a lot for several of my beans, and they maintain inventory elsewhere, and then I'm able to order from them. I wanted to speak with Ben in particular because he's been in business for 10 years, and he remains the sole employee of Potomac Chocolate. He himself goes around to each event he participates in and sells every bar he's made, all by himself. It's continued for the last 10 years or so with you as the only employee. Was that on purpose? No, it wasn't necessarily on purpose. Uh, the partnership didn't, didn't work out. Um, we're still friends, but uh, not business partners anymore. I've just grown very slowly. I've always been very careful about growth, and, and especially now that I have a shop, I am looking once we get through coronavirus, to actually bring on an employer or two to help out with a lot of the things that I don't necessarily need to be doing. Just all, all the all this stuff that's not specific to creating the, the chocolate. So no, not necessarily intentional. It's just kind of the way it's worked out. How has being a one-man operation affected your ability to pivot with how you spend your time and maybe how you allocate resources? Like how have you changed spending specifically your time week by week in light of the nationwide quarantine? Being a one-man operation means that I'm as flexible as I want to be. And so for me, one of the biggest impacts is that during the spring, I do a lot of in-person events, DC Chocolate Festival. I do a bunch of local craft fairs and those kind of things. And last year, those accounted for, for a full 10% of my annual sales, just from the end of March to the end of April. And so that's a, that's a pretty big hit. You know, and this year I've added the shop. And so what I'm doing now is I'm really focusing on online sales. One of the things that I'm pivoting to is, is developing new products. I regularly have ideas for new things that I want to do, um, new variations on existing products, that kind of thing. So I've been able to, because I'm mostly just focused right now on online orders, I've really been focusing on kind of developing new products. In fact, I've just finished the printing for the packaging for two new, new bars that I'm going to be releasing today, which is really exciting. It's quite possible that I could release two more next week. And so, so really focusing on development. One other thing about having a one-man business as it is a one-man operation is that you can't like trim the fat, as they say, with getting rid of any employees, even for like a month. It's like whatever you make has to either go back to the business or its profit. Well, and luckily by being a one-man operation, you know, there isn't any fat to trim really. My overhead is also very low. And so I am somewhat insulated in this that I can operate at a at a lower volume and survive. I don't have much fear that Potomac chocolate is going to fail or, or go away because of this. I mean, worst case is that I close down the Occoquan shop and I just move back 100% into my home. I really don't want that to happen and I don't think it'll happen. But yeah, but so I do, I do kind of have that benefit again by being a one-man operation. I just love to do stuff. And so this kind of break or whatever is, is kind of giving me the opportunity to do a lot of these things. 
test them out, see if they're going to work in a more or less risk-free way because I'm not having to sacrifice existing sales to work on these other things. I can work on them and maintain, you know, the lower, I mean, the existing sales are lower already. That's factored in. So now I can kind of work on some of these other things and, you know, who knows, maybe they'll be wildly successful. I have personally bought and tasted those two new bars and they are delicious. But while cacao producers are working out a way to do harvest, cacao distributors are figuring out how much to buy. And makers like Ben, they're figuring out how much to order of that cacao. And he's incredibly aware of how powerful his position is. The shops and the chocolate makers are feeling it now, but probably many makers are not going to be buying as much cacao. You know, and so, so these effects are going to ripple back through the supply chain for who knows how long. I mean, it may be that the specific cacao farms have just completed their harvest season. They've already sold all their cacao and it's already out. And in six months, they'll have their winter one, but there won't be the demand then because there's this glut of unused cacao already. And, and so the effects of this are going to be felt for quite a while. Yeah, it's, it's scary. I do hope that we come out of this with more feeling towards us as, as a whole, as a community. And I do hope that, that as we go through this and we suffer through this, and then we're all going to suffer some, and some of us are going to suffer a lot. I do hope that we come out of this with, with maybe a less selfish standpoint, a feeling of, of how we truly are all in this together. In the end, the chocolate consumers will be the ones who decide the livelihoods of many cacao producers. Chocolate companies like Potomac are small enough that pivoting isn't as big of an ask. But some businesses, like Mindo Chocolate, are having a much tougher time during this crisis. Not every craft chocolate company is a one-person operation. In fact, Mindo has multiple employees on two continents, including a large restaurant in their Ecuador location. To understand how COVID-19 is affecting the international operation, I spoke with one of Mindo's co-founders. I'm Barbara Wilson. I'm the owner of Mindo Chocolate Makers in Dexter, Michigan, and also El Quetzal de Mindo in Mindo, Ecuador. Mindo Chocolate has been around since 2008. It actually started inside an internet cafe that Barbara started with her business partner to run another business. She started making brownies to sell there, but she couldn't find any good local chocolate, so she decided to make her own. Over a decade later, and Mindo has become a well-recognized chocolate brand. Their namesake town draws thousands of tourists each week, and many stop in at the chocolate factory. But as of last month, tourism has all but vanished across Ecuador. As a co-founder, as a chief pivoter, maybe, as the case may be, how have you had to change how you're spending your time, maybe where you're delegating, making plans, or trying to figure out how to help your staff in light of nationwide quarantines basically around the world? I'm doing more of the day-to-day, which I was pretty much out of the day-to-day before, and I have to do a lot of strategizing. I'm doing a lot of things, uh, sort of cleaning up any little place that money is going, getting rid of any excess spending so that we're bare bones. 
I feel confident that we'll just keep plodding on and make it work like we always have. And we've hit plenty of obstacles along the way. All those small business owners know what I'm talking about. It is a day-to-day struggle. And it's uh, kind of like climbing up at the sheer edge of a cliff. And if you, if you inch your way up, and it's hard to get up there, even when there is no pandemic, there it's really, really hard. I guess it's something that, you know, you have to have inside of you that you have to do. You fall and slide back. And it's, it's, it's such a difficult thing that you sort of have to be that kind of person or become that kind of person who would do something like that. I always think of it as like having a bunch of children. You know, you really shouldn't do it unless you have to. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense money-wise. It doesn't make sense, Uh, you know, with your sanity or your time. It's just really not a smart thing to do. But if you really have to have children, then you should definitely do it. And the same with a small business. So at this point, how many staff do you have right now, both in Ecuador and in Michigan? In Ecuador, it's mostly a restaurant. But for chocolate making, we have two. And then we have our general manager is still working at home, though. So I know the operation in Mindo is mostly the restaurant, but how are you dealing with managing staff just overall and governmental rules in two different countries, both dealing with this pandemic? Oh, well, um, it's not a whole lot you can do. We can produce food, which is basically it. We are producing food for people selling chocolate in both locations and that's it and so we're down to you know bare bones staff at this point and we're trying to keep it going luckily here i just bought a lot of cocoa beans so we're good for quite a while and i'm down to one person who's making chocolate and one other person who's helping with communication we still have a couple, like handful of stores that are selling our chocolate. And for how few stores there are, they're selling it fairly well. And I'm making enough money to make payroll mostly. I don't, it's gone down a lot from March to April. And so I'm not really sure what's going to happen in the end of April and May and nobody knows and beyond. Uh, but we will keep pushing along and, and trying to trying to keep it afloat until this ends, which I hope isn't too long. I feel lucky that we're in the chocolate business, and I feel lucky that I don't have a really big um, loan or, or rent payments, things like that, that a lot of people have to struggle with. I still have the business in my house in Dexter, and the building in Ecuador, it doesn't have a mortgage or anything, a loan, um, so that's good. And so as far as, you know, businesses go, ours is probably in better shape than many. From all the numbers we've heard so far in the program, it seems like craft chocolate sales are cut at least in half. Even those who don't have to worry about rent payments are struggling to make payroll. 
am optimistic things will come back fairly quickly. There's been so much support from people. We actually got a little mini grant to help pay our um, payroll from the county, Washtenaw County. And um, that just, I mean, I think the, the psychological benefit of feeling you're supported by people and, you know, there's a whole community of people coming together to help each other do things and help fill the needs of, of other people is really a good feeling. And when you hit a really severe crisis, of course, there are people I know, you know, who have died and more and more that's happening. And that's really scary. But if you get through it, when when you get through it, you feel like you can conquer things and will survive. Um, that's one of the advantages to have been around for a long time, 60 years, more, more than 60 years. You, you know, you go through hard things and you come out of them and you, you don't get as afraid when, when you hit hard times because you know you're going to get through it and things are going to be okay. As each cacao-growing country figures out their harvest plans, chocolate makers are mapping out their future inventory. They're basing it on current and projected consumption. It's up to us consumers to make sure that craft chocolate, as an industry, can stay in business. And while buying craft is all about sustainable and equitable versions of chocolate, it's also about taste. Here are some final thoughts of hope from Anjali of Uncommon Cacao during these unprecedented times. Earlier when I spoke about my thesis background and the goods being unsubstitutable between craft chocolate and a premium chocolate or a mass market chocolate in the grocery stores, I highlighted the ethical background behind them, but I didn't speak to the artistry and the complexity and the flavor difference between them. So truly, I think that the flavor is what is connecting people to you know, trying new chocolate and you get hooked, you know, once you start tasting chocolate from Belize and Maya Mountain, you know, Dandelion's Bar won't taste the same as Dick Taylor. And it's just, it really opens up the world to you in new ways. And so I hope that people are discovering that and kind of enjoying like a chocolate world tour from their homes right now, if they can. Every choice we make echoes down the supply chain. If we buy a bar of Potomac chocolate, we're voting to continue work like Uncommon Cacao's and quality processing like Rosaura's. When we make brownies with Barbara's chocolate, we're paying a little bit more to support a small business, which in turn employs the community. So please, whether you're buying bars or beans or bonbons, go order some chocolate right now. Buy some delicious craft chocolate safely at home and eventually once again on the road. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share it in any way you see fit. Your support makes all the effort put into each episode worth it. And especially huge thank you to Rosaura, Ben, Anjali, and Barbara for being in this episode. 
To learn more about our guests, check out the show notes for this episode at the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road. 